Well, hi Year 6. It's been a while since I have seen you and it's been a while since I carried on teaching the Vikings in our history lessons. Okay, Basil, did you hear that? It was history lessons. I'm going to read you today the story of treasure and our story starts a few days after Tor's father gets back from his raid. The longhouse was full of smells and smoke and it seemed like the entire village was squeezed inside, eating and drinking and laughing. It had been three days since the longship came home and of course my father was throwing a feast. It had taken most of those three days to prepare for it. There was a lot of people to feed. Nearly everyone from our village had returned safely. Thank Odin. Only three men hadn't. One had been killed in an ambush during a raid and another had decided to jump ship and had gone home with a raiding party from Greenland. Oleg the Beard was the saddest case. Father said that he had fought bravely in battle, worked hard at the oars and was good at navigating by the stars. He had survived the entire voyage and then when he was a single jump from home, he had slipped. He was the man crushed between the ship and the pier. His wife, Gaida, had hardly stopped crying since. I could see her sitting in the corner of the longhouse. She had come to the feast, but at the same time, she was hardly there at all. With the old longboat now sunk beneath the waves, many men from further up the coast were stuck here in our village too. The women had started preparing food almost before the storm had sank the ship. The next morning, men had been sent to the darker forest over the hill to hunt deer. They soon returned with two good adult beasts. On the morning of the feast, Stigland, the bloody, toured the pastures and selected, according to him, the three best sheep in the village. No one was surprised that they were his. Mother had spent the morning making blood sausages, one of my favourite dishes. As soon as Sigan's three prized sheep were killed, Mother slit them open, took out the intestines, heart, liver and lungs. She cleaned the intestines in a bucket, then dropped all the organs into small pieces and mixed in some garlic. Then she stuffed the mixture into the empty intestines and set them to boil in the second biggest iron cauldron she could find. The biggest one already had venison stew in it and the smell of the sheep's insides bubbling away filled the longhouse and made me hungry. There were many people that were spaces at the long wooden table. We were all right because Ragnar and I were at the top table with mother and father. You only had to look at her to see how happy she was that father was home again. Hanging on the wall behind our table was the spirit of the longboat, the dragon figurehead. It had been cleaned and repainted red and gold for when the new longship was completed. Slaves hurried, hurried around bringing in more food, like wild boar steaks and bowls and bowls of venison stew. You could spot the slaves that had only arrived three days ago very easily. Across the room, I saw Magnus eating the blood sausage, the tasty juices dripping down his fingers as he pushed it into his mouth. He saw me looking and smiled, and suddenly I realised something was missing. It was odd to see him without flag flapping around his feet. Perhaps a raven was enjoying himself, outside pecking the last of the flesh off the deer bones. Sitting next to Magnus was Olaf the Smith. Everyone agreed that his idea to use the spear poles had probably saved many lives. I was watching him closely to see if he talked to Father about the sword. Has Father told you any more? asked Ragnar, leaning close to me. For a second I thought he was talking about the sword, but of course he wasn't. 
He meant, did I know anything about what was happening on the voyage? Usually, when the longship returned from a raid, the men couldn't wait to tell stories of their adventures and the dangers they'd escaped. This time, though, they didn't seem to have so many stories to tell. No, I said Ragnar, nothing else. I heard Harald the Thread telling the story about the old monk and where he hid the church jewels. But that happened on the last voyage. I know. They haven't really said anything much else. Everyone seems a little quiet. The treasure hall on this voyage was not as good as usual. There was a set of gold plates, silver bowls, around 20 of each. But they had all come from one unguarded and rather unlucky monastery. Although it did seem to me to show that our gods, Odin and Thor, were clearly better than their gods. No one said it clearly, but I was getting the impression that they had found many places that used to be easy to raid, but much better defended this trip. And that they had simply ignored them and searched for easier targets. If they let us go with them next time, we can make sure they get more treasure then, said Ragnar. I decided that attacking places that were so well defended that my father thought a victory unlikely was probably not the way to go about getting a long career as a warrior. But Ragnar was right. We were both fast, skilled, quick-witted. And if anyone could make a difference to their next raiding party, it was us. I had a plan that might help. Ships often changed or even traded crew while away. And when our longship returned, it had brought Tyrell. I thought back to how he had laughed when I tried to pull him from the sinking ship. He was the rarest of all warriors. He was a berserker. Berserkers. Well, they're the most feared fighters on any battleground. They were more common in war than raiding, and I'd yet to hear the whole story of why he was here. Berserkers wore a shirt made of wild bearskin, called a berserk. And before battle, they worked themselves into a killing frenzy that sent them wild as they slaughtered their enemies. If anyone could teach Ragnar and me more about the skill of raiding and battle, it was Tyrell. I could see him sitting on the second table with Harald the Thread and his wife Gudrid. I'd never seen anyone look less pleased to have her husband home from a sea voyage than Gudrid did. The pair had sat in stony silence all evening. Magnus had finished eating and was getting ready to entertain the crowd of his tale of the gods for the evening. And while he was talking, I planned to move nearer to Tyrell so I could speak to him. Magnus started his story by pointing to the table where the sets of gold plates and silver bowls were displayed. And the crowd cheered when he announced that the story was called The Treasures of the Gods. As dawn broke, Thor's wife Sif let out a blood-chilling scream that was heard throughout all of Asgard. Ah! Sif was known for her shining golden hair, but this dawn she had woken to find herself completely bald. Someone had crept into her bedroom under the cover of darkness and cruelly cut off all of her hair. The gods were aghast. Who would do such a terrible thing? Thor thought... There was only one person in Asgard who was jealous and mean enough to destroy such beauty. Loki. Thor was furious and went searching for the culprit. Down in the world of men, the sky filled with thunder and storms, just as it did three days ago. Soon Thor's hand was tightening around Loki's neck. 
and the mischief maker was gasping for breath. Give me a chance and I'll make amends, squealed Loki. I'll go and see the dwarfs. If anyone can make new hair for the Lady Stiff, they can. The other gods persuaded Thor to let go of Loki's neck on the grounds that he could always find it again later. And Loki hurried out of Asgard, muttering under his breath how unfair it all was. The trickster hurried to the home of the dwarfs, hidden deep under the snow-capped mountain we see to the north. Down and down Loki travelled until eventually he heard the sound of hammers banging banging on anvils, and he knew he had reached his goal. The three sons of Valdi were said to be the most skilled craftsmen of all the dwarfs, and they listened as Loki explained the situation, forgetting to say exactly why Sif needed new hair in the first place. Only you are skilled enough to do the job, insisted Loki. Spare us your flattery, trickster, said the dwarfs. Well, do what you ask, but not for you. But because the chance to impress Thor and Odin does not come along often in a lifetime. The three sons of Avaldi set to work in their dark forge deep under the earth. First they spun gold into threads as fine as ladies' hair. Then the dwarves spoke strange and powerful words over the threads to give them magic enough to grow on her head. Loki smiled as he watched, knowing that he would be safe again from Thor's wrath. We still have a good fire in the forge, said one of the dwarfs. Let us create something else to impress the gods. So the dwarfs made a long spear for Odin, the king of the gods, and a sailing ship as a gift for Freya, the god of birth and fertility. Loki was delighted. The gifts would surely win him back favour as the trickster and shape changer made his way back through the twisting underground tunnels. His greedy eyes kept glancing down at the gifts and he had an idea. Instead of going back to the surface, Loki found the hall of the dwarf brothers, Brock and Edtry. Loki knew that these dwarves were great rivals with the sons of Eveldi. I just wanted to show you their work so you might learn from it said Loki as casually as he could. It's a shame that you two are not skilled enough to make such gifts. We can easily outdo those trinkets, said Brock. I'll wager my head against yours. The brothers started to work immediately on three more gifts for the gods, and as Loki watched them work, he became so impressed with their skill that he began to worry his head might be in danger after all. Just as the first gift, a boar made of pure gold, was ready to be taken from the fire, a small fly landed on Brock's hand and bit him. Brock carried on working as soon the gift was complete. The next gift was a ring of gold, and just as he was ready to be pulled from the fire, the fly landed on Brock's neck and bit him. He ignored the pain and pulled the perfect gold ring from the fire. The third and final gift was a mighty hammer. Just as it was ready to be taken from the flames, the fly landed right on Brock's eyelid and bit him so hard that blood ran into his eye. The dwarf cried out and brushed the fly away. And when they pulled the hammer from the fire, they saw that the handle was rather on the short side. Loki and Brock now each held three treasures. And it was decided that only the gods themselves would decide which trio of gifts was best and who would lose their head. Back in Asgard, the Council of Gods, Odin, Thor and Freya, 
listened as Loki boasted how clever he had been and how he had used the dwarves' rivalry to obtain more gifts. Then it was time for the competition. Loki stepped forward, confident and sure of himself. First, I have golden hair made of real gold for the Lady Sif, said Loki. He put the hair on her head and it magically took root, looking as beautiful as the hair she had lost. Thor smiled when he saw his wife with golden hair again. Next, I have a gift for you, father, said Loki. This great spear is named Gunnir, and once thrown, it never misses its target. Lastly, for Freya, I have a sailing ship named Skidbladnir. It is large enough to hold all of the gods, and thanks to dwarf magic, it is also small enough to fold up and fit in your pocket. It will be hard indeed to beat these gifts, said, no, said Odin to the dwarf. It is easily done, said the dwarf, sounding more confident than ever. And if I win, I get to cut off Loki's head. Loki looked a little embarrassed that now the rest of the gods knew of his bet. Brock gave Odin the gold ring, called Drapnir, and said, This is a very special ring. Every ninth night, eight new rings of solid gold will drop from it. Then the dwarf gave Freya the boar of gold and told him that the boar could run faster than anything else in creation. Brock's third treasure was a hammer called Mulnir, which he gave to Thor, explaining that it was a very special weapon. It is so strong that nothing in any of the worlds can break it. And once thrown, it will always return to your hand, said Brock. The handle looks a little short to me, said Loki with a slight smile. That is because a fly bit me on the eye while I was making it, as you know full well, said Brock, looking straight at Loki. The gods decided that the winner was Brock. Wise Odin re reasoned that with Thor wielding it, the hammer would keep the gods safe from the giants. I have won and I want his head, said Brock. Loki had to use all his quick wits to save himself. You can claim my head, said Loki, but according to the bed, you may not have any part of my neck. The gods sadly had to agree with the trickster's logic. Brock was furious. Hmm, if I may not have your head after all, then at least I will sew your lips together so that you may not speak any more lies, said Brock. The dwarf produced a needle and thread and went to work, sewing up the mischief maker's mouth. Loki ran outside with shame, and with one quick movement, he ripped the thread out of his bleeding lips. Ah! It was the second scream they had echoed through Asgard that day. People laughed at the thought of Loki, running away with blood dripping from his sore lips. Magnus had walked around to our top table. As he finished his story, he stood behind my father and put his hands on my father's shoulders so that everyone would understand that the real treasure that had been brought home was the men of the village. Everyone cheered and banged their hands on the tables, and I suddenly realised that it wasn't the end of the story, and I hadn't moved next to Tyrell at all. In fact, I had been so engrossed in the story, I hadn't even noticed he got up and left the room. And for a great warrior, I could sometimes be really stupid. I got up and started to search for Tyrell. Some of the men were getting drunk, and I passed their table, and I heard some of them making fun out of Sigmund the Bloody. Next time you go to hunt the wolf, Sigmund, remember to take a bed. Call him Sigmund the Sleepy. 
Outside, it was a perfect summer night and the stars were bright and clear in the twilight sky. In summer, it did not get properly dark and over to the north, streaks of red and green lights weaved and wandered through the sky. Some people said that the lights were Bifrost, the rainbow bridge to Asgard, and others that they were the souls of our warriors killed on the battlefield on their way to Odin in the next life. I saw Tyrell sitting on the stone wall. He was staring up at the sky and drinking his horn, drinking from his horn. He looked sad and like he wanted to be alone. It was a perfect time to ask him if he'd be my mentor in battle. As I walked towards him, he stared at me so hard that I suddenly didn't know what to say. You look like my son, he said. One of them, the eldest. He was quite drunk. He swayed a little, like a powerful pine tree in a breeze that might bend but never fall. When the ship was sinking, you had the pole. You were going to pull me, but I jumped and I saved you getting wet. He was a warrior and warriors are known for their actions and what they do and not talking that much. So I thought I would get straight to the point. I am Tor the Sword, the son of Ivor, the chieftain here in this village. Would you do me and my brother the honour of instructing us in battle and combat? He burped very loudly and said, No, and then he fell over. I helped him back on his feet and then back onto the wall. He tried draining the cow horn again, but it was long empty. He looked at me like he was remembering something. Three years ago, I was hired by a rich lord to leave my wife and three sons and go to the other end of my country to rid him of a rival lord who wanted to make war. The army of the rival lord was superior in numbers and had better blacksmiths to make better weapons. But we had been on more battlefields and had won more wars. I fasted for nine days and nine nights until in my dreams I was allowed to speak to Tyre, the god of war. I was given him most of my life. My name is taken from his, and he told me what he had to do, what he wanted me to do. And after four moons, the broken army was scattered over the cold mountains, each man shivering, starving alone. And so I headed home to my family with a sack of gold. I want to be a great warrior like you, I said. I want to be able to tell a story just like that. He suddenly looked utterly lost. When I arrived back in my family with my gold, I found that my enemies had already been there. And outside my house were four poles that the men had driven deep into the ground. And on top of those poles were the heads of my wife, next to her my three sons. I didn't know what to say. For a moment he looked at me straight in the face, although I don't think it was me that he was seeing. And he picked himself up and staggered slowly away into the twilight. Hope you enjoyed that last chapter. Who knows, I might record another one for you next week. Take care, year six. 